Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11 and 20 and 21. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all the things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is the word of the Lord. And the title of my message this morning is this, New Creation Greater Than Self-Creation. And as I mentioned, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday here at First City Church. It is a big deal to us. But this morning, it takes on a particular emphasis. There's a particular joy and celebration around the resurrection. And to reflect that, this morning is special in some way. We don't have as great as the choir was. We don't have a choir every Sunday. But, but to celebrate that, to put emphasis on the resurrection, we, we went all out with our worship this morning. I normally don't preach in a tie, let alone a pink tie. But this morning, here I am rocking a pink tie, which I kind of like, because this morning takes on a particular emphasis. Those of you that maybe don't normally come to church, you came this morning. Like if your friend or family member asked you to come like on a random Sunday in February, you're probably like, ah, not so much. But hey, you're here this morning. There is a particular energy and a particular celebration to this morning. And in many ways, this reflects a proper understanding of what the resurrection is. And if you're in this room, statistically, what statistics say is that the majority of you in here believe that the resurrection actually happened. According to the most recent survey, 66% of adults in the United States believe that the resurrection is a, was a historical fact. It actually took place, actually happened. So if we just did a poll, the expectation is, is most of you would believe this thing that we're celebrating this morning, this thing that we got dressed up to celebrate this morning and had an Easter choir and did all the things you believe. Now, here's the challenge, though. Here's the challenge to this. It's not so much, do you believe the resurrection happened, sort of mental ascent, as important as that is. That is, that is vital. But the question that I'm more interested in this morning is, is does the resurrection actually have power in your life? Does the resurrection actually change things for you? Does it matter to you? Or does it just kind of say, yeah, that's a historical thing that happened. I don't really know all of what it means and the, the extent of it. But I, 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 yeah, I can say that I believe something happened. Or is it, no, the resurrection is what defines me. 
The resurrection is what has actually transformed my life and is the power in which I live by. That's the question that I'm interested in this morning, and that's the question that we are going to wrestle through from our passage in Philippians 3. I want to know, I want us all to know and to, to take account of and be honest about whether the resurrection actually matters. The resurrection actually has our hearts. The resurrection actually has transformed us. Because if we're honest, what you and I will recognize is this. The natural bent of our hearts is not to live by the power of the resurrection, the power of the new creation that is in Jesus Christ, but rather we want to live by self-creation. We, we want to live by self-definition. Or to use the language that is in Philippians 3, we put confidence in our flesh. We like to define ourselves by self-made markers of identity. Things like success and wealth and education, being seen by the right people, being associated with the right groups of people, caring about the right social causes and, and, and having the right social values. These are things that we chase through our own efforts and our own performance. And they make us look good and they make us feel good about ourselves. They, they give us a sense of worth and value. If, if I perform in this way, if I'm associated with the right people, if I do the right thing, if I have enough success, enough wealth, enough status, I'm going to feel good about myself and I'll have meaning and purpose in life. And here what, here's what the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 does. He says, okay. I'll play that game. You want to play the game of self-creation? Let's play the game of self-creation. Let's go down that road because anything you can do, I can do better. Here's what he writes in verses four through six. I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. See, all the boxes that you and I like to check, Paul checks them here. Family background, hey, I came from the best stock. I came from the best family. My family, Hebrew of Hebrews. I got the best family name out there. Nationality, hey, I'm from the chosen people of God. Who are you from? Knowledge, education, ability. May I was a Pharisee. The, the Pharisees were those who were the experts on all things law and religion. The most educated in society. The experts everybody went to go, everybody went to for wisdom. Hey, I need help understanding this thing about the Bible, understanding this sort of legal thing. Paul was it. He was at the cream of the crop, the experts, the most respected part of the community. Well, what we also learn in the book of Galatians is that Paul was a bit of a prodigy. I mean, he, he climbed the social and corporate ladder faster than anyone else his own age. He was gifted. He would have been on the Forbes top 30 under 30. He might have been at the top of the list. Paul had the education. He had the ability. He had the skill. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was the best of the best when it came to moral zeal and social causes. He opposed all the bad things he should have opposed he was for the things he should have been for. Paul was the most zealous. He kept the law. He was blameless. He was a righteous, upstanding man. He followed all the rules. He was the dude every dude wanted to be, and he was the guy every Hebrew mom and dad hoped their daughter would marry. 
Like he was the man in his society. Like if Paul was a citizen of the United States, like his life would be the model of the American dream. Comes from a good family. He's a proud, flag-waving American raised by hardworking parents to honor God and honor country. Himself hardworking and ambitious, climbing the, the ladder of education and in his job and his career. He's an honest, morally upstanding citizen. He stands for the values of his family and of his nation, and he fights against anybody who would stand against those things. Look, Paul is everything that we would say we would want to be. Parents, Paul, in many ways, is everything you give your life to to hope your kids grow up to be. Dudes, he's the kind of guy you probably would want to be in many ways. Moms and dads, he's the kind of guy you would want your daughter to marry. For all of our efforts at self-creation, anybody want to go up against this? Like, you think you have done well. Could you stack your credentials against the Apostle Paul's? Could you stack your moral and your educational and your skill and your family backgrounds? Could you stack your credentials against the Apostle Paul? Paul played the game of self-creation better than anyone, and yet here's the conclusion he came to. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss. I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Belonging to a good family, being part of the people of Israel, the chosen people of God, being an expert in the law, rising in position faster than anybody else, being morally blameless according to the law, for all of the good of those things, Paul said, I count them as waste, refuse, dung. In the Greek, that's puapoo. That sounds a little more French than Greek, sorry. But this is, the, this, this is how Paul saw all of that good, all of that self-creation. Waste. Throw it on the garbage heap. It has no value to me. In fact, it has less than value to me. He counts everything as loss. How in the world could Paul say this? Like, you think about all that we strive to achieve in our lives, all of our self-creative efforts, and, and to think a man who achieved all the things that we would hope to achieve and even had things that many of us don't have and wish we had. He made it. He did it. And yet he said it's all dumb. It's all refuse. It's all waste. How in the world can somebody do that? Well, he gives us the answer. He says, because of Christ... He considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Better than self-creation, Paul saw new creation through Christ. Greater than self-creation was the resurrection power that he had in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul understood. That if his identity, his worth, his value, his meaning, his purpose, if everything that he gave his life to was about this self-creative efforts, he would have no need for Christ. Like if you find your identity and your meaning and your purpose and your worth and your value and what you can do and what you can create, you will have no need of Christ. You will have no need of him. Paul recognized, Paul recognized, if this is what, if self-creation is what I'm after, then I'll never gain Christ. I'll never have Christ. And he saw the surpassing value of Christ 
and it made everything else look like dung, waste, refuse. And the same is true, friends, if your identity, if your worth, if your value, if your meaning and purpose is in self-creation, if it's in what you achieve and what you accomplish and, and really how you decide to define yourself and how you decide to live your life, you're going to have no need for Christ in new creation. You will crowd out your need through your attempts at self-creation. And listen, the same goes for you who are religious. Like if you believe your standing before God is based on your performance, it's based on whether or not you can do more good than bad, and at the end of the day, the scales will, will tip in your favor. If you believe that just being a hardworking, honest, decent person who doesn't hurt anybody is all you need to do, you will have no need for Christ in new creation. And so, listen, especially to those of us who would claim to be religious and claim to be Christians. Like, like is it no wonder that so many people pay lip service to belief in the resurrection and yet it has no real bearing on their life? Like there are, so survey, 66% of people believe in the resurrection and yet only the half that number, about 33%, are committed to a local church body. Like, like church attendance, church, church membership isn't the be-all and end-all, but it says a lot. It, it says whether or not the resurrection has so transformed you and you so identify with Christ and his people that it actually causes you to be involved with a church. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But listen, listen, is it no wonder, is it no wonder that in our pursuit of self-creation, that so many of us can play lip service to belief in the resurrection, but it have little to no power in our life. We have put such confidence in our flesh. Like we live for the self-creation. We have gone all in as self-reliant people who self-identify and self-define, chasing self-made dreams and believing that self-fulfillment is the highest good. Like this is the air we breathe. This is the culture that we are shaped by. And friends, if that is what you believe, if self-creation is your pursuit, you will have no need for Christ. And if you do think you have need, here's what Jesus becomes. He becomes the person you sort of just put in your cheering section over there clapping you on. Keep doing hard, keep working hard, keep going at it. Yeah, I'm for you, I'm here for you. He becomes a cheerleader. He becomes a stamp for your self-creation. Another form of self-validation rather than the Savior and Lord of all creation. Friends, is that what you do with Jesus? Is that what you do with Jesus? Is that all the resurrection is to you? But here's, here's the irony in all this, friends. Here's the irony in this. Like confidence in the flesh, self-creation, like that's, there's no confidence in that at all. The irony of all of our attempts at trying to build an identity and try to build stability through our own efforts and through self-creation, it leads nowhere it leads nowhere. It's a recipe for frustration and failure. Uh, like if your identity, your sense of self-worth, your meaning and your purpose is based on being able to determine and define who you are by your own efforts, by working hard enough and gaining enough success or gaining enough wealth and comfort or gaining enough status with people or getting in with the right crowd and being seen by enough people or doing enough good for the right causes, if that's what you are after, Here's the question I have for you. When is enough enough? When is good enough good enough? 
Can you do enough? Can you be good enough? Can you get enough success? Can you get enough validation from people for your identity to actually have stability? Because, because here's, here's what happens. Let, let, let's be honest here for a second. Let's just, you know, it's Easter. We can be happy and we can just kind of throw the guard down. Because here's what happens. When we're crushing it, when we're feeling good about life, man, I'm, I'm working hard and it's successful and people like me and everything's going well. Man, we feel good about ourselves. We feel really good about ourselves. And actually, the more we, we start to have success, what ends up happening? We start to feel a little self-righteous, don't we? Like, we're a little, we're, we're, all those people over there failing, all those people, they don't get it together. What's wrong with them? I'm crushing it. And, and so we'll feel good about ourselves and we'll become self-righteous. And you know what it's like to be around those kinds of people? Some of you don't want to admit you are those kinds of people, but hey, a self-righteousness sets in. But then what happens the next day? We fail. We blow it. People don't give us the affirmation we thought they were giving us the other day. We, we're not as confident. Things aren't going our way. And maybe we start to get into fights with people and people reject us and there's, there's hardship and there's despair. All of the things that, are, that, this, that this world you experience and it is tough and it is painful. Then what happens? Oh, we're crushed. Like we fall into despair. Nobody likes me. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. I have no value. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. And so we will swing from self-righteousness to despair. And we will get on that merry-go-round. We will get on that pendulum swing and we will ride that thing until we're dizzy. Where does that leave us? And, and think about just where we are as a culture. Think about this. We have never been so given over to the freedom of self-creation. Like you can self-define yourself however you want today. We have never been given over to more self-creation, and yet we have ne never been a more angry and divided and self-righteous culture. Amen. And we have also never been a more despairing and depressed culture. Right. Like the extremes on both sides are obvious. This is what self-creation leads to. We are wrecking and ruining ourselves and our world through our self-creation. That's the irony. Confidence in the flesh is no confidence at all. Self-creation does not lead to the life that you believe it will. And here's the kicker of it all. On top of all of that, self-creation, it's not goodness. It's not righteousness. It doesn't save. It doesn't make you right with God. You don't earn a standing with God through self-creation. What you are actually doing is you are living in selfish, rebellious pride. You are saying, God, you're not God, I'm God. You don't get to define who I am, and you don't get to define what is right and wrong and how I will live my life. I'm going to do that. Jesus, you're not on the king. Here, you can just get off the throne there for a second. I'm going to put myself on the throne here. Now, 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 we may not consciously do that. We may not say that directly to God, but that's what our lives show. That's what our lives declare when we live for self-creation. And so do you see the problem of self-creation. It leads nowhere and ultimately leads to judgment. Do, 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 you, do you see the problem? Like, just be brutally honest for a second here. Does, does giving yourself to self-creation, self-definition, does it actually fix what's broken in you? Does it, act, does it actually give you hope 
that all that is wrong in you and the world will actually be put right? Does it make you a more faith-filled, joy-filled, love-filled, kind, compassionate, patient, gentle, honest, forgiving, emotionally and spiritually healthy person? What is the fruit of self-creation? Even more, does it actually lead you to Christ? Does it actually lead you to Christ? Does it cause you to long for new creation and resurrection? Paul knew. Paul absolutely knew. If his confidence remained in his flesh, he would have no need for Christ. If he continued to pursue self-creation, he would have no need for new creation. Something had to give. And something has to give with us, friends. Something has to give with us. Paul chose the surpassing value, the greater value. He, he chose the greater value of Christ in new creation. As he writes in verse, verses 10 and 11, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So here's the question. Why did Paul count everything that was gained to him loss? Why, why was Christ surpassing greater value. What is the power of the resurrection and the power of new creation that he experienced as he knew Christ? Quite, quite frankly, why is new creation greater than self-creation? Well, the answer to that question comes when we honestly, we honestly account for the problem. When we honestly account that we in and of ourselves, cannot fix what is broken in us and in our world. The resurrection power, new creation, becomes of surpassing value when we see that the only hope that we have is resurrection and new creation to fix what is broken in us and in our world. Like, friends, we are impossibly broken. Us and our world, impossibly broken. Evil and injustice and oppression and war and pain and suffering and sickness and death. Like, like these things rock our world. They rock our lives daily. And look, the problem isn't that we're just ignorant people who need more education or better politics or better laws or better economic opportunities or better technology and more self-help or more self-improvement. We have those in spades, do we not? We have technology falling out of our pockets. We are ridiculously wealthy as a society. We have books and books and books and endless amounts of information for self-help and self-improvement for all of our wealth, all of our politics, all of our philosophy, all of our technology, all of our medicine, try as we might, we cannot fix what's broken in us and in our world because we're part of the problem. We are the problem. What God's word lays before us when we are laid open and bare in honesty is this. We're just not, we're not ignorant people in need of a little help. No, we are rebellious sinners who have brought ruin and wreckage to ourselves, others, and our world. And look, because God is just, he is good. He cares about the ruin and wreckage. He does not turn his back. He does not turn a blind eye. No, he deals with it. He is good. He is just. And he brings his justice and he brings his judgment and so, friends, what you and I need, not better politics and better philosophy and better 
economic situation and more self-help and self-improvement. No, what we need, we need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need freedom from sin's power. We need our dead hearts to be made alive in Christ. We need a power that can actually and truly transform us in our world. Something that can actually set us free from evil and injustice and oppression and war. Set us free and redeem us from the pain and the suffering and the death. And this is the good news of the gospel, friends. This is why Paul turned his back on self-creation and turned towards new creation because he understood the power of the gospel. He knew what the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ is. And here is the good news for Paul and here's the good news for you and I this morning is that in love, Jesus Christ came into our world. The Father sent Jesus into our broken, sin-cursed world. And what did Jesus do? Jesus walked a perfectly righteous life where you and I failed miserably, where we could not keep God's law and keep God's standards, where we could not be perfectly loving and kind and compassionate and full of grace and mercy. Jesus was. Jesus hit all the boxes perfectly, but he didn't just live a perfect life. He laid down his life for you and me. He willingly went to a brutal Roman cross to be crucified, and on that cross, the wrath of God was placed on him. All of our judgment was placed on Christ. The judgment you and I truly deserve, Jesus took on himself in love. But Jesus didn't die, just die. Jesus didn't just die. As we are celebrating this morning, after the third day, he got up out of the tomb, resurrected in power, in victory, victory over every sin, victory over every evil, every oppression, every sickness, every disease, victory over death itself. And then he ascended into heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God as the resurrected and reigning king. And one day, Jesus is coming back. One day, Jesus is coming back, and he is going to finish what he started And the good news of the gospel is is that when we turn from our self-creation, turn from our sin, and turn to Christ in faith, the power of the resurrection, the power of all that Jesus did and accomplished for you and I, we get to experience. We get to experience freedom in Christ, forgiveness in Christ, new life in Christ. Listen, the forgiveness that you and I need, like you cannot earn that. You cannot earn it because, listen, what could you possibly do that Jesus hasn't already done? Like, he lived the perfect life for you. You and your mixed bag, sometimes you're good, sometimes you're bad. You're going to bring that righteousness and try to earn forgiveness? No. And here's the good news. You don't have to. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Here is what Jesus accomplished for you and me, that through faith in him, we could be forgiven and made righteous before God because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. Not because of our self-creation, but because of new creation in Christ. We are forgiven. All of our sins forgiven, cleansed, wiped away. And now we stand before God righteous as if we had never sinned. A righteousness that comes from Christ. He gives us his righteousness that we receive by faith. What can you and I ever do to earn something that Christ has already earned? 
What righteousness could you and I ever bring when we can, and they could, they could ever stand up to the righteousness of Christ? Why would we ever choose self-creation when we can have the righteousness of Jesus through new life in him? Not only do we experience for, forgiveness, but friends, we also experience freedom. And not the freedom that the world talks about where, hey, you're just free to, to define however you want. Now, not the freedom to just live for whatever desire you want. Friends, that's not freedom, that's slavery. That is slavery to desire. That is slavery to self. Jesus came to set you free from slavery to yourself. Set you free from the sin that has enslaved you. And so through Christ, through his death and resurrection, we are, be, we are set free. The power of sin is broken, yes. Until Christ comes, we will fight it. We will have to wrestle with it. It will still be something that, it, that we are growing out of, but it is no longer our master. It no longer has us shackled. We've been set free. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus, we can grow, we can overcome, we can mature in our faith, and sin slowly will die in us. So friends, Jesus came to set you free from the very sin that has wrecked and ruined your life. You can experience transformation, you can experience renewal, you can experience hope, you can experience the power of the resurrection in your life. But this happens not through self-creation, not through your own strength, but through the power of the resurrection of Christ as you turn from self-creation and turn to Jesus. There is freedom for you. And in the forgiveness and in the freedom, we have an identity far greater than anything you and I could ever create. The identity we have in Christ, sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of a father who loves us, sons and daughters of a king who has given us everything, who has lavished grace and lavished riches and lavished blessing on us. Like, think of any identity that you could create in this world. Anything, your best effort, your greatest success, the most wealth, the most prestige you could ever accomplish in this world through self-creation. Does that hold a candle to being a son and daughter of the living God? Like, I don't know who the famous, famous person you know is, but let me tell you who I know, Jesus. And Jesus is sitting on a throne no one else can ever sit on. And, and I have a father who is more powerful and more loving than even the best earthly father, like the creator of all things, the one who fills all things, the, great, the, the one who is great and glorious and above all things, like he knows me. And he knows you who are in Christ, like intimately. You have a relationship with him. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He says, I'm your father. Know me. Be near me. Be close to me. Be in relationship with me. Like what other identity could we ever create for ourselves? What other joy what other hope? What other power? This comes not through self-creation, but through new creation in Christ. And then in verses 20 and 21, Paul brings it home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Like, modern medicine is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I have a brother-in-law who's a surgeon, and so it's fun talking to him about medicine. But friends, as great as modern medicine is, 
it's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope that every sickness and every disease and even death itself is going to be swallowed up is this hope that Paul talks about, that one day Jesus is going to come back and the very glory that he has, the very glory that transformed his body is going to transform your body if you are in Christ. A glorious new body free of sickness, disease, and death is your hope and is your future if you are in Christ. A greater glory than any glory you could create for yourself through modern medicine or cosmetics or whatever it is that this world tells you you need to do to your body to have glory. You don't need to listen to the lies of the world because you have a greater glory. You have a greater hope. The very glory of Jesus Christ is going to transform your body. What could you ever do? Whatever, what, what could you ever self-create that would be greater than the glory of Christ? Friends, new creation is better than self-creation. And this is what Paul understood. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. Not just because it was this great historical event. Yes, it was. It was real. It happened. Jesus got up out of the grave. But Jesus getting up out of the grave unleashed new creation. It unleashed power, transforming power, forgiving power, freeing power, renewing power. And when he comes back, he is going to renew all things. That is the hope, that is the power of new creation. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, that hope, that power, Jesus offers to you this morning. But that happens. That happens. As Paul says here, only when we are conformed to his death. But you have to die to yourself. You have to turn from your sin. You have to die to that old self. You have to die to that self-creation that you have given yourself to and put your faith in Christ and new creation. And you can do that even this morning. You can experience the power of the resurrection, the power of new creation, the power that will forgive you, free you, give you an identity greater than any identity, set you free, and give you a hope of a transformed body. And for those of us here this morning, that do profess faith in Christ. Especially if you're a part of First City Church. First City Church. Let's not let the resurrection just be something we, we say. Yeah, yeah, the resurrection. Even today, as we celebrate with a little bit more emphasis, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the power of the resurrection by freshly committing to say, I'm going to live by this power. I'm going to live by the power of new creation and not self-creation. I want to die to those old habits of self-creation that I know I can still give myself to and I can fall in. And by God's grace and by his power, I want to live more for new creation. Like, I want new creation to be the thing that defines me. I want Jesus and his power to define me. I want to find my righteousness and my hope in him. Live by the freedom that he gives me. Live in the good of the identity of a father who loves me. And hold out hope through all the pain, all the sickness, all the sadness, all the suffering, that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to transform this world and transform my body. Let's commit afresh to that, living in that, not just paying lip service to the resurrection, but living in its power because, friends, new creation is greater than self-creation. Amen? Let's pray.